This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Kia ora. great to have you here for the second of three podcasts in the Oldest Profession series, RNZ's peek into the sex industry. I'm Philippa Tolley. In the first podcast, we heard about the working lives of prostitutes who see clients in brothels. This time, we explore the practicalities of running a parlour or an agency. How does it all work? So say two men wanted to turn up right now at two o'clock, I'd make one of them come at ten to or ten past. And then the women all know that if they are walking a client out the door, then they are to check that no one else is coming or going. Why do men choose to buy sex? There is an absolute complete total honesty about what happens here. There's no surprises either side. Uh, No one else is going to get hurt. And in the third part, we'll be looking at the sometimes harsh life working from the streets. Yeah, there are many times where I was um, in situations where at life point I bashed by carloads, put in hospital. Back to the operation side of the profession. Sarah has run her own agency for more than a decade and her two bedrooms have a distinct boudoir feel, feminine, soft and embracing. But the day-to-day stuff is a little more mundane. Okay, at home, I refuse to make the bed. Let me put it that way. <laughs> oh, that's fair enough. 12 years of bed making. Laundry wasn't something I thought I'd be talking about to the owner of a brothel, but when you think about it, there are a lot of sheets and towels involved. As Adele sings in the background, Sarah keeps on tidying the room, normally the duty of the last woman to use it. But in this case, they've had to rush off. So who does pay for sex? Sarah tells me they put their clients into three categories. As we say, the married men, who are usually our day clients, or travelling, um, so they're the night ones, but usually they're here because they love their wives, would never have an affair, would never leave them, but they have no sex at home. You know, five years, no sex, pretty normal. Um, so they come here and they want the intimacy, the young woman seducing them or saying, you know, not saying, not saying, I've got a headache tonight, don't want to do it. And then we get other men who are single, who work so much, don't have time for a partner. So they, um, again, it's the talking, it's the laughing, it's the having the girlfriend sort of thing. And then we get the category we kind of call the unfortunates. So unfortunate looking, socially awkward, um, just not good with women, full stop. And they're the loveliest men. They, they are so sweet. The women love seeing them because... They're just nice. They're just genuine and and really nice. And so appreciative of women being with them. So all walks of life. Most of our men, because of our price, are 40s plus. However, 
22-year-olds, 25-year-olds, pretty normal too. Um, yeah, so all ages, all races, all backgrounds. You know, we say, you know, doctors and businessmen and corporates and stuff, but tradesmen, bar staff, I mean, if they can afford it. But it's not just men who are clients. A lot of times it's the women who call me for a threesome. Yeah, so a lot of couples. Loads of couples who've been married, same story, 20 years, the spark's gone. They want to do something for their husband's birthday, so they book a threesome. So that's pretty common. Despite the changes in society, the overwhelming demand comes from men paying for women. Sarah thinks a man who can provide services to a woman would only get booked once every six months. Although she does have a couple of gay men on her books. Interestingly, they're not on the website because she thinks it might put off other clients. What about behaviour? Do men ever behave violently or inappropriately with the workers? Has she ever had to call police for help? Never needed to at this stage. I mean, 12 years, um, never needed to. And it's funny because I never see the men. They don't know what I look like. They don't know who I am. So you're looking at me right now thinking, really, this is security? But... The amount of men who are terrified of Sarah downstairs. So when the men are lingering in the room and the woman can't get them out, they say, Sarah will be knocking on the door soon. And the men say, oh, no, we don't want Sarah up here. Because um, it's this unknown person. They have no idea. Um, we had one Asian man who he was terrified. He was a young guy. And for whatever reason, he was so scared I was going to tell his mother he was coming here and he would be shipped back to China. Um, he'd never seen me, didn't know me, but... He was very well behaved because if I do something wrong, Sarah will ring my mother. <laughs> I wouldn't, but yeah, I don't know. There's something, because this is legal, because I can call the police at any time I want, um, yeah, they, they just seem to behave. And men do get banned. Try to take a condom off before sex and you'll never be allowed back. Under the legislation, protection must be used in all forms of sex and you can't work in the industry unless you're over 18 and you're also not allowed to work if you're in New Zealand on a temporary visa. But what are the requirements for a sex worker in this agency? Someone who has another job or is studying, so this is not their sole income. Um, and why is that? Because there's too much pressure to get her work. So we, although we do have some women who this is their sole income, I think, I don't know, maybe it sounds bad of me to say, but it makes her more interesting if she's got a life outside of here, if she's not sitting around seven days a week waiting for my phone call, um, for the clients, I mean, you know. She's a young woman studying. He feels he's helping her get ahead in life. She's got a day job. This is her fun. It's a few nights a week. She comes in here and has a bit of fun. If this is her sole income, she relies on it, it becomes a job, it becomes, I need to do the job, even when I'm not in the mood to make that money because I've got to pay my rent this week. It just becomes a chore, which the men don't want either. Um, and I wouldn't take women who have done lots and lots of escort work for a low end, like a lower price either. Um, I worked in a parlour, like we were talking about before. Um, their attitude to working is very different from a woman who's never worked before. You're almost tainted by the stereotypes of, of everything. So, Can you explain that a little bit more, what that tainting is like? We call it the parlour look, where the doorbell rings and the glaze over the face of 
okay, I'm in work mode now. Whereas the woman here, the doorbell rings, and I'm like, oh, that's John. And they answer the door and, and they have a great time. I think if you're used to doing 10 men a night, half hour bookings, drunk men all night, saying no, 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 constantly, you're going to come here and expect our clients are going to be the same, but they actually find they're not. They're very, very different. But surely being able to chat with men and be interesting isn't enough. What about looks? Attractive can mean many things. <laughs> I mean, I suppose, got, I mean looks, looks are definitely part of it, though. They are, but we've got women who I would consider a plain Jane, and then you talk to them, and the more you talk to them, they are just beautiful inside, which comes from the outside, you know. I mean, Frankie, who you just met, I mean, she's gorgeous. Um, but we've got other women, as I say, who, you know, you might not look twice at in the street, but they do very well here, very well, because they are engaging, they're fun, they're enthusiastic, they're great people, and, you know, you would, you'd know what I mean. You meet someone, and on first appearance wouldn't think much, but then as you get to know them, you think, wow, these people were pretty incredible. An age range or all younger women? We don't take anyone under 20, but that's my rule. <laughs> that's, um, very, very few times I'll take a 19-year-old if I think she's got the maturity or the life experience. Um, but I personally think the law should be 20. I think 18, straight out of school, to be sleeping with 40, 50, 60-year-old men, far too young. And yes, that's another client ringing in. Back to who can work as a prostitute. Well, definitely no one using drugs. That's a clear message coming through. When it comes to age, Sarah has a 54-year-old who works for her now. And the oldest woman she's worked with was 63. But that's perfect if the client is older too. If you're a 70-year-old man and you want to go out to dinner, do you want to go out with a 20-year-old? Not at all. So you're going to pick the woman who are in her 40s, probably, to go out to dinner and without having the whole restaurant staring at you, looking. The room's all shipshape and ready for the next customer. And as we head downstairs to the wee admin staff changing room, Sarah talks about who's available at the moment. But like today, for example, we've only got five women on call today. Tonight we've got more women on, but... So, I mean, out of 20 women, at this stage, only five of them are available. It's quite different. Yeah, so if John rings me right now who's available, he's only basically got five women to pick from. And one's 50, and some are 20, and some are 27 and 28. So, you know, he's if he wants someone who's a little bit older, say, you know, late 20s, he's only got one choice. In this agency, the money is split 60-40 in favour of the worker. So she gets $230 an hour, while Sarah takes 170, and the money for any extras, tips or presents, all stay with the worker. But why pay for sex? Is it really necessary these days? David visits an agency every couple of months. He first paid for sex many years ago, not as part of a group of young men on a night out, but on his own. The difference between reality and fantasy was vast. So it was a most un underwhelming experience. And I think to an extent there's almost that sort of that tick box type of, you know, you're young, you're stupid, you do those type of things. You don't talk about them, of course, but clearly lots of people do. What was the place like that you went to? It was back in the days when there were massage 
the parlours, and literally that's what it was, but it was just like you, <laughs> it was very basic. If you think of every really bad cliche and roll them together, that's what you'd get. Yeah, it, could, it, was, it was almost like a sports sports type um, feeling with the, the showers and the sauna and the massage rooms, that was it. So there's no sense of excitement, no sense of sexy, no, no sense of mystery, anything. I've arranged to meet David at the agency he now uses and to chat in one of the bedrooms that are set out like rooms in a high-end hotel. While the bed is the focus of the room, there are also two armchairs to sit in and talk about why he comes here. David says after the first forays, he didn't return to a brothel until years later when his marriage was breaking down. And although he himself admits it sounds a bit corny, he was looking for warmth and affection. Yeah, it's kind of painful to talk about. Well, it's very painful to talk about. But it was a form of both release and intimacy and a sense of loss and a sense of um, you're all those all those emotions that you struggle with in relationships aren't going well. For those, I suppose, that haven't been to a brothel would say, how can you get intimacy at an hour at a time? It's a good question, but I suppose when you're in a relationship and things aren't working out, you're comparing an hour versus nothing. I think um, affairs tend to be more not being judgmental at all, um, but I think most people would agree that affairs often end up in situations where other people get hurt. And I think for me that's the the key point that I suppose some people may disagree entirely with my decision, but I suppose part of the thing with that with my decision was that it was something that I controlled and nobody else was going to get hurt by my actions. In the end, David's marriage collapsed and he was divorced. Now he visits the agency every couple of months. Uh, I don't build my <laughs> my life around it, but it's it's an option. I'm obviously in the position where I'm, um, you know, on, on dating sites, competing with all the other married men who apparently <laughs> inhabit those sites as well. So as I say, for me, there's a there's a sense of both pragmatism and honesty. So yes, I no qualms about the decision at all. I suppose a lot of people would say that. They would say, well, why do you really need to pay for a sex worker when there's so much opportunity online or on apps? Do you really need to? I suppose outside the absolute honesty that you get in here of it's about one thing, that when you're dealing with someone else there's always the, you know, is it about sex, is it about relationship, and often they get, get mixed up. But it's not all about needs and feelings. David lists for me the other attractions of a place like this. Confidence about hygiene and health issues, discretion and an empathetic reception. And it's not all about him. He also wants the women to be happy. As, as I've said, for me, what's really important about the whole thing is that there is you know, that whole consent that there's, there's no one there because they don't want to be there. And I think part of the difference is that I feel like it's a genuine experience here that someone else is enjoying themselves as well. I asked him how he chooses which women he wants to have sex with, and that brings a smile to his face. It's funny because I think there's the, the sort of the perfect body type of view of, of what makes a sex worker. But, and this will shock a few people, but it comes down to personality and, and interest and connection and fun and all those other things. So it's kind of funny. There's, 
once you step into the room, there's no difference between anything else. There's either a connection or not. Do you think about what the girl is thinking about during your time? Do you ever think about how she's feeling? Well, it's really important to me. <laughs> and it can't be it can't be faked either. So, um, and again, that's part of the difference, I suppose, for me, is that at a place like here, the girls who who come here, we talked about people who don't necessarily enjoy their job. The girls that come here obviously enjoy their job. It's something that, as part of the experience, I enjoy too. So yes. And you don't think that can be faked. I understand that every man thinks that no woman has ever faked in their life. Men aren't as stupid as some women would think, but I think there's a, there's a genuine, yeah, a genuine nature. This is something David's been doing for five years. He's single and isn't betraying anyone, but it's still not something he chats about openly. But on the other hand, he says he wouldn't lie to conceal the fact. I wouldn't hide it. I don't, I don't see a reason to hide it. I haven't come here entirely wanting to <laughs> sing from the rooftops, but that's not because I'm ashamed. But if I was to ask questions about your sex life or any of the, the listeners, it's one of those things that people people don't. I've chosen to talk. Part of the reason is that um, I'm the most non-exciting person that you could meet. And for me, it's just an, an ordinary thing that I do in the, the dark that affects nobody else. So... If other people are happy to talk about their sex life with me, then I'm happy to talk about, about my sex life. So it's nothing that that I hide. I think also because it's difficult to have a conversation with some people who can have only seen certain sides of the industry and aren't necessarily aware of how the industry has changed. But I was somewhat surprised to find that some in the industry don't believe everything has changed for the better, and Celeste is one of them. After working in hospitality and management, she now runs a brothel in Christchurch and has done for some time. She has both women on shift, who are available to be chosen by men who just walk in, and other staff who'll come in for appointments. On the day we meet, she was moving to new premises and the idea of clients, movers and me all at once was almost too much. But she did spare a moment to head around the corner and meet me for a coffee in a local bar where what looked like regulars were catching a quick pint and mothers were coming in with their children to grab lunch. She told me her first step into the industry was motivated by concern over her daughter's health. I had gained custody of my daughter and had realised that she had been out of my care for about four years and um, she had some massive learning difficulties that were picked up in the first couple of months of her being in my care. And from that, I recognised that that needed to be addressed and the public health system at the time um, would have put her on very long waiting lists back in the 90s and I needed to fund that privately for private care. Um, so we had her assessed and I decided to come into the industry for that purpose. It was for the benefit of her. Back then, before the industry was decriminalised in 2003, both soliciting and living off the earnings of prostitution were illegal. So what was it like being a working girl then? went through a process of not having many rights. 
at all, having to work out of a clandestine flat where a lady would yell out, that was the neighbour, what I was doing when I arrived there. Uh, not, not a very nice environment to work out of at all. I wouldn't feel that there'd been any safety attached to it because I would arrive at a house and the client would arrive there. I had to get money off him. And then from there, you had no backup. There was no one watching you. So you had to hope that the whole thing was fairly safe. The move into ownership of a business was prompted by the earthquake. It was after the earthquake that it changed the whole dynamics here. It got rid of some of the old dead wood and it gave me an opportunity which I felt quite confident that I could actually do something like that here at Christchurch now and that's why I opened it. I opened it with the idea that there would be a few girls working for me. I never dreamed it would be Mother Hubbard in her shoe. How do you choose who you will take and put on your books? Um, I don't go by looks. I try and actually um, work out why they want to work for me. Why me? Why not somewhere else? Um, that I want to know what their background is and I want to know what's going to be different this time for them, especially if they've worked in the industry two or three other times. And I normally actually can tell them exactly how their history's been. Um, I'll normally sit them down and say, this is your third time in the industry, am I not right? You're 33. And they'll go, yes, and I'll say, what happened to the rest of the money over the years? Well, this time, if you're going to come and work for me, it's going to be different. So you really can rule the looks out of it? Yep. Because I suppose well, most people would reason. say, look, I mean, you know, you have to be attractive. Reason. I mean, I've had two ladies turn up with no teeth, and I can't do that. I can't do that, I'm sorry. And 65 with no teeth just isn't going to work, OK? And that's what we turned away the other day. And she'd heard that I might take on girls. Well, she's got to have a pair of gnashes, even if they're false teeth. Sorry. Um, so within reason, yes, I'm being honest. <laughs> and it was very hard too, and it was very hard. It's pretty sad. Yeah. During our chat, Celeste is passionate about helping the women that work for her. They must be focused and have a sense of what they want to achieve. She's even trained as a life coach so she can help her workers stick to and achieve their goals. But despite all of that, her view of the industry is pretty grim. It is a service industry, like any. It is also full of broken china dolls, and that's what I call myself and I call most of the girls that work in this industry. Uh, the, the, the stats out there are probably well over 90% of the girls that work in this industry in some way have been mentally, emotionally or physically abused in their lives. They're able to disassociate, which means it makes the job easier. That is unfortunately a reality of it. Now, I don't quite know what those statistics are, but I know it's fairly high, and the studies have been done out there about them. I've seen enough sad cases in the industry where I've only seen five girls make it, and when I say make it, they set out goals and they achieve them. I've probably had 20,000 girls come through my businesses in the last 15 years. So five. five out of 20,000. Yeah. yeah. And that's sad, isn't it? Join me for part three of The Oldest Profession as I head out into the red light areas in our main centres and talk to street-based prostitutes about their work. 
And you can catch this and the other two oldest profession podcasts on the podcasts and series page on the RNZ website or head to iTunes. I'm Philippa Tolley. The podcast engineer was Phil Benj. Thanks for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.